We are still celebrating 75 years of Restoration Church. So prepare your hearts, ready your mind for a word from God today. Dover, could you put your hands together and let me know you're alive? <laughs> uh, special welcome to everybody joining us online, everybody joining us in Plymouth and Milton. This has been so much fun celebrating 75 years together. This morning, our guest speaker is Matt Springer, and um, there's a little bit of history here with Restoration Church. When I was a teenager, uh, uh, attending Restoration Church, there were, um, there were less than a handful of, of young adults, you know, 20 to 25 year olds attending the church, following Jesus, and, and who are really, who, who love Jesus. And as a teenager, Matt and his wife Heather got my attention because as a, as a young teenager trying to follow Jesus, it was great to have someone in the next generation above me who was following Jesus, and it was someone to, to look up to and look after. And so certainly it's nothing I've expressed to you before, but as a, you know, at 14 years old, when I, when I met Jesus, you guys, you and your wife, were people that I looked up to and people that I wanted to emulate and follow. Thank you. And they, in 1999, Matt was part of the pastoral search committee that, uh, that hired the guy who hired me, Dave Blakeney, to come and be the next lead pastor of Restoration Church and was an integral part of, of in, his, in his early 20s, being treasurer of the church and, and just involved in so many different places. When he left, and I don't want to take any of your, of your thing, but just to give a few an introduction to you, when he, he left and moved back to his hometown in West Virginia, and over the next few years, ended up entering uh, college ministry, and now he's the Northeast Director for Chi Alpha. Chi Alpha has college campus ministries all over, and he oversees those directors from West Virginia all the way up to Maine. And I think University of Maine in Orono is the furthest north we go, and then yep. University of Vermont is a Chi Alpha there as well. And um, so listen, we are really, really glad that you're here. And uh, 21 years later, coming back, yeah. Being, being part of our service today. Could everybody at every location please put your hands together and welcome Matt as he brings the word. Thank you. Thank you. So great to be with you all. I noticed I said you all because I am from a little bit further south. Uh, we have loved coming back here and being just being here this morning, seeing some faces that have been familiar to us from, from years gone by. Uh, man, it is so great to be with, to be with you. Just to tell a little bit of um, my story, to kind of go into how our story intersected with your story and you celebrating 75 years. Uh, we, um, I, I didn't grow up as a follower of Jesus. I rarely ever went to church. 
Uh, that just wasn't part of my life. Back in the day at churches, they had these things called bulletins. And the church, every once in a while I went to, would give a list of the things happening for that day. And I liked math, so I would, if I went, I counted, okay, we have 17 things to, to, go, to do today. And then I just started counting down. And I got real excited when we got down to one, because then I knew we were about done. But that was my experience. But my senior year of high school, this girl invited me to see her in a, in a play at her church. And she, in my, in my estimation, was the girl. The girl. Honestly, if she had invited me anywhere, I would have gone. But on that, uh, on that weeknight, I went to see her in this play, appreciated her performance in this play, and was excited to connect with her after the play. But in the midst of the play ending, the pastor got up. And the pastor started sharing about Jesus. And all of a sudden, where the only person in my field of vision was this girl, Jesus interrupted my field of vision. And I got to a point as he spoke and as he began to pray where I said, I need this. I need this. And a 17 year old, is 17 years old, gave my life to Christ and was excited to, uh, to uh, celebrate that right after praying with that young lady who three and a half months later we started dating and four and a half years later we got married. So Heather is comfortable with me telling that story because she is part of that story. But uh, that was my, my journey to Jesus. And we got involved with the campus ministry while we were in college uh, after Jesus had interrupted my life and then graduated college. And we moved to Durham, New Hampshire for Heather to pursue a graduate degree in psychology at UNH. We didn't know anybody from here. We weren't from here. But we knew as lovers and followers of Jesus, we wanted to go to church. So we opened this device called a phone book that involved many pieces of paper. It was like Yelp, but with paper. And we went to the back of the phone book, the yellow pages portion, which had businesses and organizations. And we went to churches and put our finger on one that happened to be the predecessor to Restoration Church, the old CWC in Barrington, New Hampshire. And on uh, June 9th, 1996, which I remember that day because that was Heather's 23rd birthday, we went to Restoration Church for the first time. And immediately were received so well and so lovingly by people. In fact, John, John Cerise, I remember at the end of that service, you greeting us, talking to us for a long time. And I just remember you saying, you are so far from family. And I don't know if you set this up or what, but it seemed like from that week through several weeks, we were invited to people's homes. The next Sunday was Father's Day. And of course, we were 700 miles from our dads, but Jerry and Lloyd Orser, which some of you may remember them and they invited us to their house for a cookout to celebrate Father's Day with them, and we were a part of company roasts at people's houses and, and dinners at people's houses and just became part of the life of this church. This, this became our home as we lived in New Hampshire, and we were loved well here. And, uh, and that was in 1996, and in 1999, we had our first child, Glenna, over at Portsmouth Regional, Regional Hospital, and uh, we, we since have had three more kids. I think there's a picture of them to show you. Our youngest two are here with us, Evelyn and Nathan, there in the middle of the picture, and then our oldest son, Isaac. Glenna, on the, on the right beside Heather, um, is a senior in, at West Virginia University. Isaac is starting his first year at a community college back where we're from, and they wish they could be here with us. When we lived here, I worked as an engineer for a company in Portsmouth, and I think they've moved locations. They're over by Pease or something like that now, but there was a Lint chocolate outlet near where I worked. And I remembered at that time that you could get a bag and put as many of those truffles in the bag that you could fit in there. And as long as the bag didn't break, there was a set price, no matter how many, if it was 10 or 50, you paid the set price. So if somebody wouldn't mind telling me after the service, if that's still there, 
we may need to stop on the way back. It's gone. I am heartbroken, deeply, deeply heartbroken already. About six months after Glennon was born, we, our time in New Hampshire transitioned, and I took a new, a, a new job, still in engineering. We made our way back to West Virginia, and interesting, interestingly, a couple years later, we just started volunteering to help this college ministry out, this Chi Alpha at Fairmont State University, and it's okay that none of you have ever heard of it. It's not really notable for anything, except Michael, Michael Phelps, the Olympic swimmer, his mom went there. So she spoke at graduation four or five years ago. That's how, that's how notable it is. Somebody's mom went there. Um, but we just started volunteering to help out these college students. We'd have them into our home and picnics and, and all these things and, and teach a leaders meeting or something like that. And God just started growing this love for college students in our lives. And, and a few years after that, we, we made the decision to leave as God called engineering, and into vocational ministry. And Chi Alpha, if you're unfamiliar, it's the Assemblies of God outreach, missions outreach to the secular campus. The, the belief is that this is one of the most strategic, if not the most strategic mission field in the world. Every day, every creed, every nationality, every faith joins together in one place. It's like the day of Pentecost from Acts 2, but that was like one day, but every day of every year and year after year are gathered together in this place. The nations come to our campuses. Even at Fairmont State University, the nations come there. And God had developed this love in our hearts. And then after leading Chi Alpha at Fairmont State for 14 years, I took this role as the Northeast Area Director and have responsibility for the care of our existing 35 Chi Alphas in the Northeast and the responsibility for the development on hundreds of other campuses that are in the Northeast, including over at Durham at the University of New Hampshire where, God, would you please help us to see laborers raised up to plant campus ministry there. You know a love born of God is pretty revolutionary. It was revolutionary for my life. It's been revolutionary for some of your lives. And I just believe the love of God is revolutionary in the life of a college student. It's revolutionary in the life of any person. We all need this. We all need this. And just, just to, to let you know, I, I, I so appreciate, a couple years ago when I reconnected with Pastor Nate, um, I, I, I shared him that, hey, we're missionaries now. We were engineers then, or we were, I was an engineer then, she was a student then, we're, we're missionaries now, and your church has come alongside us for the last couple of years, has been partnering with us and supporting us monthly, and we're just so grateful for your partnership with us in the gospel. God sees, God knows the power of his love to transform lives. He's done it in the past. He wants to do it again. I was reading in 1 Corinthians, this is a congregation of, of, of followers of Jesus, but they were from crazy backgrounds. Some of them that would have been highly antagonistic to Jesus and his followers. Others that would have been apathetic and care, could care less about Jesus and his followers. And God reaches into these, the lives of these people, shares his love with them, sees them, them transformed, calls them together as a community of people. But they struggled living out that love. The love God had placed in them, they struggled to live out. They were, they divided themselves, some saying, I follow Paul, others saying, I follow Apollos, and then speaking bad about each other's leaders, and they divided themselves in, in sexual sin, and which is always selfishness. They divided themselves as they forgot one another at times in communion, sometimes not letting the poorer people even participate, and sometimes the wealthier people actually getting drunk at communion. They had divided themselves at times when they gathered together because everybody would be speaking in a language that they didn't know, but nobody would be sharing out of love a message in a language that they did know. 
They divided themselves, even in how they divided themselves from Paul and how they treated Paul, the guy who had risked his life to bring the good news of Jesus to them. See, love should produce love. And so Paul takes pen in hand and writes a letter to them, challenging them, encouraging them, admonishing them. And in the midst of that letter, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he pens these words that many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with. In 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And then love never fails. It caught me as I was reading this and thinking about you and what you're celebrating in these 75 years. It starts with love is patient. Those are Paul's first words, love is patient, and which, mean lo- which means love suffers long. And it ends with love always perseveres. Love suffers long and love always perseveres. And I was thinking, how in the world does that happen when things are so challenging and circumstances are difficult and people are hard and relationships are hard and the culture is challenging and difficult to live out this faith? And I don't know if this is all of it, but I think part of it is that phrase right before love always perseveres, that love always hopes. And that's what I want us to spend some time thinking about. Remember for Paul, as he's penning these words, born of the Holy Spirit, These are words that were modeled to him in the life of Jesus and who Jesus was, that Jesus is patient, that Jesus is kind, that Jesus does not envy, that Jesus does not dishonor others, that Jesus always hopes, always perseveres. The picture that would have been in his mind was the face of the Lord Jesus. Remember, Paul was a murderer. Paul was a brutalizer of Jesus' followers, right? This is what he did. This was like became his vocation, his passion, his burning zeal was to, if not imprison or if not kill, at least imprison followers of Jesus. And the fact that Jesus had died and been resurrected and poured out his spirit on 120 followers and all of a sudden 3,000 were following him and then it moved to 5,000 were following him. He was glad to cast his lot in at the martyrdom of Stephen, the first Christian martyr after Jesus. He was glad to go after these followers of Jesus. And then all of a sudden, on the way to Damascus to to imprison more, Jesus comes right in front of his field of vision and interrupts his life, interrupts his life and transforms him radically. He is not the same man. So much so, he ended up changing his name. He is not the same man. In fact, he says these words, kind of reflecting back on what had happened. He says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let me say it again. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, who loved me, a murderer, and a brutalizer of his people who loved me, one who was so far the worst of sinners who loved me. It doesn't matter who you are or what you have done in the past. It doesn't matter the shame that you carry, Jesus bore it on the cross. It doesn't matter the sin that you've committed, Jesus bore it on the cross. And that's what hit Paul. That's what hit Paul. 
And that's why he was struck to the heart with this truth that love always hopes. Love always hopes. Hear that in your soul. In the midst of the challenges you may be facing, love always hopes. And hope is a form of endurance based on the fact that God is love. I can endure because God is love and therefore I will hope. Therefore I yet hope. A.B. Simpson, a lover of Jesus from a century ago, wrote, love hopes forever and clothes her object with the glory of her expectation. Jesus saw what Paul was. Jesus knew what Paul was. He wasn't surprised. He's like, oh my goodness, I didn't read his, the full Facebook, all the Facebook posts that Paul had. He understood the reality of his heart. But Paul wasn't, he wasn't worthy of Jesus' love. He didn't do anything to earn Jesus' love, and yet Jesus poured out his love into Paul's heart and transformed his life such that when he said, I have been crucified with Christ, he knew it, he meant it, he experienced it, he was a new man. That, that phrase, that line from Galatians 2, this was his crowning and incredibly humbling joy. This was his overwhelming gratitude, his shock-filled exhilaration about what Jesus had, has, has done and is doing. Love always hopes. Love never loses hope. So how's your hope? How's your hope? Do you believe God's promises? Do you trust his word? I understand you may have endured pain, so did Paul. I, may, I understand you may have suffered, so did Jesus. I understand your trials may have been hard. Your, the difficulties you're, you're in right now may be so challenging. So were they for Jesus. So were they for Paul. How's your hope for you, for your family, for your community in Milton or in Plymouth or in Dover? in Rochester and Summersworth for, your, for the burdens of your heart for this church. Trey came to Fairmont State to play football. He was from just outside of D.C., an African-American young man, always with a great smile on his face. He was, you knew he was a football player because he was about half again as broad as me. Loved hanging out with Trey. He, he had grown up going to church, but church was tradition. Uh, the things that really made him excited were football and girls. And we connected. Uh, he came to play football, but he had, they found out in a physical that he had a heart condition, so they delayed his start. But in the mid interim, he got involved, started connecting with students in Chi Alpha, started become a re becoming a regular in a Bible study I was leading in the cafeteria, started becoming a regular at our worship services, and then found out that they said, hey, you can't play football here. And at that point, it would have made sense. Hey, you're paying out-of-state tuition. You don't have a scholarship now. Go, it's better to go home. You can find someplace in-state, maybe have a shot with another school of playing football. But God had started gripping his heart, and he decided to stay. Went with us to a winter retreat, heard a speaker. As the speaker was talking about Moses' interaction with God at the burning bush, he heard the speaker say that God told Moses, my name is I am that I am. And that struck his heart, and he surrendered his life to Jesus that night, and God radically changed him. Jesus interrupted his life, interrupted football, interrupted girls, and came right in front of him and interrupted his life, and Trey surrendered his life to Jesus, he led mission trips for us, led students to Jesus along with us, and now married a young lady in Chi Alpha, and they live on the West Coast, actually in Oregon, and... Um, they have three boys that they've adopted, rescued from a life of who knows what. That's Trey in the upper, the upper picture there with his wife, Kylie. Love 
always hopes. I remember sitting with Trey one time, as still a student, we were together, and he was like, just kind of like frustrated with tears in his eyes, and he said, why do you believe in me? And I just remember thinking, that is the craziest question. Somehow God had planted in my heart love for him such that I could see the potential, see the opportunity of his life fully surrendered to Jesus. I'm like, how Trey, like, how could I not? Love always hopes. Love always hopes. It never loses hope. Love sees the beautiful future as you consider our world or your family or your friends or yourself. How's your hope? How's your hope? Hira was born in Pakistan but grew up in Saudi Arabia. She came to the States as a high school student Uh, went to boarding school, and then of all places in America, went to Fairmont State University in Fairmont, West Virginia for college. Crazy. Why in the world? I I, I always ask international students, why Fairmont? I mean, you could have gone to New York City or to Boston or, I mean, but she chose Fairmont. We met her her first week of classes at an international student welcome night and began this friendship, our family and these students with Hira. And over the course of four years, as we opened our lives to her, she opened her heart to us. And we just continued planting seeds about Jesus. I remember at times, Heather and I would be in the car, be at our house, and we were like, there's like a target on her back. Jesus wants her badly, and she doesn't even realize that he's coming after her. He he wants her. And so we were at a spring retreat, again, a retreat. And uh, late on a Saturday night, one of our students had shared with her Jesus' words in Matthew 10, 37, because she had been weighing this about her, her Muslim background and her family and Jesus and just not sure what to do, counting the costs. And a student had shared this, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. She told me that the next morning. Hey, uh, this, this uh, girl shared this with me and I was like, that's a big deal. And she said, so I made the decision that I was gonna follow Jesus because he's worth more than anything. Yes. Yes, and I watched her just grow as this beautiful young Christian woman, just so full of faith and love for Jesus, married a Christian guy, had three babies. She actually lost a battle with cancer about 14 months ago, but love always hopes. Think about it. God saw her in Pakistan, saw her in Saudi Arabia, saw her at a boarding school in rural Pennsylvania and planted her. He said, you know what? I want to put her in Fairmont and see if they'll love her and see if they'll get to see my love at work in her. Love always hopes. We need the transforming love of God in us and in our communities. Do you see the beautiful future God has for you, for your family, for your friends, for this church? Love always hopes. How's your hope? Kate grew up in a Christian home, sort of. See, her dad was a pastor, but her her dad detonated the church and his family with an affair. And so Kate swore off God, decided she hated God, hated the church, hated Christians. In fact, she told me when she was in high school, she had a coach that kept telling her, hey, Kate, I'm praying for you. She gets so mad at him. Don't pray for me. There's no God anyway. It doesn't make any difference. Graduated high school, went to Fairmont State. First two years lived with that hard, hardened heart. Her junior year, a couple of our female students saw her walking across campus and they decided to interrupt her. Stepped in front of her and befriended her. Olivia and Abby just started hanging out with her, spending time with her, going to the movies together, eating ice cream late at night together, laughing and telling stories and road tripping. And in the midst of that, they invited her to be a part of the small group they were leading. They would pray together, read the Bible together, invited her to start coming to our weekly worship services. 
And slowly, Kate's heart softened and she surrendered her life to Jesus, the God she had sworn off, the God that she hated, she fell in love with. And those girls challenged her, hey, what God has done in you, he wants to do through you now. So she went through our new leader training and the next year, as a nine-month-old Christian, she starts leading girls to Jesus. She starts sharing her faith with them, inviting them into her life, going on road trips, eating ice cream late at night, laughing together, talking about God's word, praying together, and leading them to Jesus. In fact, once she graduated, she made the decision to do our internship. We have an internship, a 10-month training program uh, to train graduates to do campus ministry. And she did that internship and became part of a team we sent from Fairmont State to another campus in Maryland, Frostburg State University which became the first Chi Alpha in Maryland in a bunch of years. We had no other Chi Alphas in the state of Maryland. And they're planting that now in the midst of a pandemic. The God-hater becomes the God-declarer. Love always hopes. Love envisions the beautiful future that's born in the heart of God. Do you see it? I know it's hard. I know circumstances are challenging. I know there's lack sometimes, but do you see it in him? We rejoice with you to celebrate 75 years, 75 years of Restoration Church. What a great history. And I commend you, Nate, and how you've been leading the charge in the pursuit of Jesus and his glory in these communities in New Hampshire. Our years as part of this church are part of our story and the, 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 the tapestry of the lives of Trey and Hira and Kate are woven with some of the threads of Restoration Church because of how you impacted us and how you loved us. But I don't want your celebration just to end with good memories, and I don't know if there's potato salad at the end of next week or not. I'm, I'm not sure. But I want you to believe for what God has. See, in the kingdom of God, there's no little people and no little places. In the kingdom of God, Milton and Plymouth and Dover matter. Jesus was born in Nazareth. The disciples came from Galilee. These are nowhere places in the armpit of the Roman Empire. And yet these people turned the Roman world upside down. These people, if they hadn't fought and died for Jesus' sake by giving their lives for the sake of others, would we have even known who Jesus is? Are we willing to, to, to take hold of that hope-filled future that God has for us and for you? You know, I watched the service that you had at the beginning of this month on January 3rd. Nate had told me that he was going to be interviewing Pastor Dave Blakeney and Glenn Hurley. And I remember, oh my goodness, I remember those names. They were there when I was there. And I watched that, that interview with them and all these memories start flooding back into my mind as we had, as we had overlapped with, with you. And in the midst of that, I heard Dave Blakeney share his story and history with Restoration Church. I heard you share, Dave, about the pain and love for the congregation as you became its pastor and how you went home and told your wife, somebody's gonna have to die for this congregation, it's gonna be me. Honestly, I think that's an example of love always hopes it knows that there's cost. It knows that there's challenge and difficulty. And it knows I don't have the capability to do this myself. See, we love because he first loved, loved us. You don't have to look at this and say, how in the world am I going to help my family? Or how in the world am I going to reach my neighbors? Or how in the world am I going to do this in my community? I don't know how to do this myself. Well, thank God, he's like big and infinite and holy, and powerful, and wants to pour out his love and his spirit on you to enable to do that which you cannot do. 
So much so that people will look and say, oh yeah, that's not Matt, because we know Matt. But maybe, maybe that's just God in Matt. Maybe that's just God in Nate. Maybe that's just God in Dave. Maybe that's just God in them. And I kind of want to know that God. I want to be interrupted by that God in my life. Love always hopes is why the laments of Scripture so often end in praise. Love always hopes makes sense of those laments as we cry out, God, how long will it be like this? How long will they be away from you? God, it hurts. God, these circumstances hurt. How long will it be, God? And and then, then understanding this breaking of my heart must mirror something in the breaking of his heart. And why does my heart, why is my heart in pain? Well, because I love them. Why is his heart in pain? Because he loves them. And then suddenly we remember great is his faithfulness and hope begins to shade every circumstance that we see with the color of his cross and like, oh yeah, there's crucifixion, but then there's resurrection as well. And God does this. Love always hopes is birthed out of his deep and generous and rich and faithful love for us. Freely you have received his love, freely give. Freely you have received Freely give. That was the point for the Corinthians. It's the point for us. This is how your love can always hope because it's born out of his love for you. Your love has to be anchored, not in some emotional sentimentality, not in, oh, I'm a Christian, so I have to be happy-go-lucky all the time. No, because of who he is, because of what he's done, because of his nature and his character and his goodness and his mercy. I think about Jesus standing before the tomb of Lazarus. It's impossible. And he says, roll away the stone. What a horrible thing to say to Mary and Martha. Like, Lord, it's the smell. Smell, he's already decayed, God. He said, but did did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And you wonder, did they start kind of looking at each other and like, what, what does he mean? We know if he had been here, he would have saved Lazarus, but let's, let's take the stone away. Let's see what happened. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And they roll away the stone and he says, Lazarus, come out. And he comes hobbling out and he says, get that stuff off him. He probably wants something to eat, you know? Love always hopes. How's your hope? How's your hope? How can you exercise that hope in the life of others? I want to invite the band back up and just give you a couple practical ways you you can begin exercising that hope and even just seeing God develop that hope in yourself. And the first is this. Our hearts were won by this church for this to be our church home in New Hampshire because of hospitality. We, We were made to feel at home within a week of moving here, 700 and some miles from home. Repeatedly, people said, you're so far from your family. And the implication was, all right, I'll be your family. I understand we're in COVID. I understand culture is different 20 years later. But I was one at a dinner table to stay here. Yeah, preaching was good and worship was good, but I was one at the dinner table. That's where we were one because we we found friends. I encourage you, be hospitable to people. Number two, pray and We often pray junk out of people. How about praying God's kingdom into people? It's easy to pray junk out. 
Anybody can see what's screwed up. I mean, even people that don't love Jesus see what's screwed up. But how, we, how about we pray the kingdom of God in people? How about we, do you have a vision for what it could be like if God actually answered the prayer that you have? Well, ask God for the vision and start praying for that to happen. God, your kingdom come in this way. God, your kingdom come in that way. And then share truth. Centered in Jesus, though. You can't expect people to do right before they know the one who is right. And then they'll have the power to do right. So share truth, but centered in Jesus. Ask for gifts to give people. I love that after Paul finishes this whole passage about love, he opens chapter 14 with follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially the gift of prophecy. Ask God to give you gifts to give away. And that, that eagerly desire, it's like a yearning fire. Like I want, I have to have this. Pray that God will give you gifts to give away and to cultivate this love in your own heart. Spend some time. Like every day over the next three weeks, read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Take some time, a couple days over the next week to just, just ponder, what does it mean, God, that you, you are patient with me? What does it mean, God, that you never dishonor me? What does it mean, God, that you persevere in love for me? Ask God about the implications of those and let them touch your life. Thank you for what you've invested in us and in our family, partnering with us in the gospel, but being a home for three and a half years while we lived here. And before we sing this worship song and Pastor Nate closes out the service, I just want to pray a blessing over you guys and over this church. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I pray for this congregation that they would know in their hearts that love always hopes, God, that you have a beautiful future painted for this congregation here, this community here, and in Milton, and in, and in Plymouth, God, that you have a vision of what you want to accomplish, and then would they see that beautiful future and trust you for it? Would they be willing to endure pain and heartache for the sake of your glory being made known? Oh God, would, would there be such a, a spirit of wisdom and revelation in them, in them that they would know you better, that their eyes would be enlightened to the hope that you have called them to. Oh Lord Jesus, would they know that hope is a form of endurance. We don't hope for what we already have, we hope for what is not yet. But it's based out of your love, God, so would you pour out your love into their hearts. For those that feel empty, would you fill them? For those that are overflowing, would you fill them even more? so that out of the, your love for them, they could then love others. We love you, Jesus. We're honored, God, by your love for us. We're humbled by your love for us. Your love suffers long for us. Your love perseveres for us because you see what you want us to be. Thank you for that, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.